Greetings, my good people. How are we? What's going on? I'm sure everybody's excited knowing that we have a short work week ahead and a four-day weekend coming up with Thanksgiving right on the horizon. But first, people, give thanks each and every day. Just don't wait for Thursday to gather around the table with family and friends and watching football and stuff in your faces. Uh Uh-uh. To me, Thanksgiving is waking up every morning knowing that you get up out of bed, open your eyes, walk, talk, taste, touch, hear, see, smell, all those things that we take for granted, as well as the clothes on our back, foods on the table, roof over our head, and all the blessings that the good Lord has bestowed upon us. So please, don't just save everything for Thursday. As we know, it's just commercialized and overblown, and everybody looks forward to Black Friday. So give thanks right now. Give thanks each and every day, every second of the day, because we don't know when this is all going to end. So anyway, let's get to some sports talk here. As you've tuned into the J Reels podcast, I am your host, J Reels. This is your first time tuning in and wondering what makes this guy different from the 7,000 other sports podcasts or what you hear on the radio, TV, etc. Well, not only do I like to inform and engage and entertain, but most importantly, deliver credible sports talk on this platform, whether it's going on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Rose Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect here on a Monday, November the 19th in the year of our Lord, 2018. So welcome aboard for those uh, tuning in for the very first time. Again, I thank you for downloading and taking the time out to listen to what it is that I have to say. And for those who have been with me on this journey, whether it's from the very first episode, the 10th, 20th, 30th, and now the 39th episode, uh, welcome back. Lots to talk about, but we're going to centralize it around football because as we all know, now as we're getting into Thanksgiving week, whether it's in the world of college or especially in the pros, a lot to chew on there. I will touch on some things on the back end, whether it's what's going on in the NBA. The Warriors seems to be uh, the sky's falling out in the Bay Area with them losing four out of five. I'll also touch on Carmelo Anthony and where he may be headed next. And I know we touched on it a little bit last week, but now that he's officially out of Houston and right now without an NBA team, we'll see where the possible next destination will be for Melo. Not much going on in the NHL circuit. And baseball, we all know the awards are in, so now we could kind of look ahead for free agency. But I do have one thing, and this is for the Yankees and for the Yankee fan that I'm on your side when it comes to the Rookie of the Year. But we'll save that for later. But now let's delve into just a crazy and another fascinating, topsy-turvy Week 11 in the National Football League. We'll start off quickly with the Giants. As we know, the Giants' season has pretty much been put out to sea, but with the way the NFC East is looking, I'm sure there are a few Giant fans that have visions of a run to try to make it to a division title, considering that a lot of these teams have come back to the pack, minus the Dallas Cowboys, and we'll get to the rest of the league in a little bit. But the Giants, who, as we all know, rough start to their season, come back after a bye to play the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Well, I shouldn't say a bye because they played the Monday night against San Francisco in which they won. We hadn't even recapped that. But just to put that game to bed, that was a game where Eli, of course, was very efficient. Looked like the Niners were going to pull it out at the end, and that certainly would have been just an absolute killer loss in a lost season for the Giants. But they were able to pull it out. Sterling Shepard in the end zone, 27-23, although the Niners had a chance there at the end, but still fell short. So now you look forward to this game here against Tampa and the schedule. Not too crazy as far as maybe making a run at this thing. Now, granted, you have a couple of not-so-easy games up ahead, and before we look ahead for the Giants, 
first things first, the Buccaneers come into the Meadowlands, MetLife, and pretty much put on a show offensively. And this was the giant team that I'm sure a lot of people were hoping, clamoring, and certainly praying for, This, considering everything that had happened last year with this team. We all know about the offensive line woes, et cetera. But to recap yesterday, Eli, of course, very efficient. It was almost like Eli in his rookie year in a sense where he only threw the ball 18 times, completed 17 which was super efficient, as we know, 231 yards. But this was the Saquon Barkley coming out party. This was the game that finally the Giant fan was certainly looking forward to. Your number two overall pick to have that impact game, not only on the ground, but in the air. Two touchdowns rushing. He had 146 yards on the ground, which, let's face it, we understand we were looking for a lot of these types of games from a number 26 Saquon Barkley, but it took until this game against a Buccaneer team that certainly has fallen apart where their coach is going to be out and possibly their number one pick from a few years back in Jameis Winston. But with the Giants right now, even with the way this game had unfolded, 31-14, you're thinking, oh, it's going to be cake. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic, which has long been gone, but he had left the game due to being ineffective. Jameis Winston actually did an admirable job, but certainly not enough, but Made the game close, cut it to 31-28, and I'm sure the Giant fan was sweating there a little bit, saying to themselves, there's no way that the Tampa team is going to come back and beat us here, considering the day that Barkley had and what took place with their offense. They ended up scoring 38 points in the game and were able to hang on for a 38-35 win, which all you can look at right now, if you're a Giant fan, as much as you know you're not in the playoff race, because you're not, And as much as you are looking forward to maybe the 2019 draft and saying, oh, can we possibly draft that quarterback? You got to take this thing one by one. And now as you're three and seven and you're going to Philly next week, a team that beat you earlier in the year on a Thursday night, I'm sure you're probably looking around the room and you saw what happened in Washington yesterday. And granted that Dallas certainly made some leaps and bounds here in the last couple of weeks, but with Philly pretty much putting their season to rest yesterday down in New Orleans. And with the Giants, just a game back in Philly at this present moment, I'm sure that locker room, and even OBJ had said, hey, maybe we could run the table. And of course he's going to say that. He's not going to say we're going to mail in the rest of the season when he said that a couple weeks ago prior to the Niner game. But now, as we're here, and taking this thing one game at a time, and hoping and praying that you can at least gain some respectability here to close out the season, to build into next season. Now, I understand people are going to say, well, what does that mean? So if the team ends up 7-9 and nine and they finish the season winning whatever it is, 6 of the last 7 or 6 of the last 8, that's a whole new season. What does 2018 have to do with 2019? Well, look what happened last year. You guys ended up 3-13 and 13 and you started off 1-7. and seven. So not to say that that translated last year to this year, but once you get 0-1, like the Giants, you're thinking, oh, geez, here we go. It's going to be like 2018 or, in this case, 2017 all over again. You don't want to have that feeling. You want to close out the season strong. Hey, if you end up becoming 7-9 and and you're going to end up choosing whatever it is, I don't know, 12th in the draft, then so be it. Don't look at it as trying to tank all these games for the sake of tanking and hoping to get a quarterback and then next year have the same type of start of the season that you had here in the last couple of years. No, that's not what you're looking at. And I'm sure that's not what you want either. But here we are now after a 38-35 victory 
where you have to go to Philly next week, and Philly is – their wings have been clipped. Let's just put it that way. And Carson, Carson Wentz certainly didn't have a, a game to write home about yesterday. But you have a couple tricky games in there where you have the Bears the following week, and we know the Bears are playing very well. Two games after that, because you go to Washington, then you play Tennessee at home, and Tennessee is up and down. One week they beat New England, and yesterday didn't even show up against the Colts. But the Colts are actually flying high, and that's the game that the Giants have to travel to Indy to play the week after. So as much as you want to look at running the table here and saying you never know, it's not as if you have a cakewalk schedule to a Week 17 where you play Dallas at home, and who knows, Dallas will probably be playing for something at that point. So as much as you want to think that, hey, let's run the table, or hey, I think we could pull this off, we could beat Philly, Philly's not playing well, yeah, that could possibly happen. Chicago, Bears, eh, they may be due to lose, considering how well they played. Washington, not having Alex Smith there. All right, and you could look at the rest of the schedule and say, win, win, uh, maybe a loss that win. But as we all know, how this is going to shake down, it's all up in the air. You can't look at it that way. If you're a Giant fan, you'd have to look at it, come back at 7-7 seven and seven and see where you're at there. Because there is no way that you could even think that at 3-7, and seven, and still three games behind the Redskins, who you happen to lo- lose to early in the year, that you actually have a shot in the NFC. Or at least in the NFC East. So before we get crazy, to start to develop all these different types of permutations to see, okay, well, we have tiebreakers against this team. We haven't beaten that team. Or First of all, you haven't won a division game yet. Let's start there. So you need to win your division games. But, of course, you got to get to 500 before you can even think about the postseason. Not 6-7, and seven, certainly not 5-7, and 7-7. Seven, seven and, seven. and then you just take it from there. And as far as the rest of the league is concerned, the theme yesterday – were those teams that were on the bubble, those teams that were certainly looking in the barrel of a shotgun, knowing that their season could probably go up in smoke if they weren't able to fight off that attack. And I understand it's a bad analogy in this day and age, So, but you get my drift. So here they are, they're looking at their seasons dead square in the eyes, and those teams that certainly had big-time aspirations for 2018 are certainly looking at the end of their season. And we're going to start off with the game Thursday night with Green Bay and Seattle. Now, Green Bay's still in the thick of things, especially in the NFC North. Because remember, they do have a win over Chicago earlier this year, despite the fact that the Bears, right now, after their win last night against the Vikings, are 7-3 and three in the NFC North. So they got that game to hang their hat on. But Green Bay, who... Let's face it, had a tough ending to that game. Pretty much back and forth, tooth and nail. Russell Wilson, I don't know how they do it. You know, they've been very competitive all year. I thought they were going to have a down year considering everything that's happened. Their secondary is depleted. Not any big-time playmakers on offense other than the quarterback. But when you have a guy like Russell Wilson, who's small in stature but has a ginormous heart, we're able to pull that game out in the Pacific Northwest. 27-24, where Seattle, if they have any hope of getting a wild card, they certainly bolstered it by getting this victory. And with the Packers, they're certainly looking at this game here, I'm sure, that when it's all said and done, this is the one game they're going to circle and said, 
we should have came out of there with a victory. And they didn't. Another team, the Atlanta Falcons. Now, this was an interesting game from the standpoint of they were playing the Cowboys, and the Cowboys were also one of those teams that certainly needed to win to keep any hope alive. But the Falcons, who, as we talked about last week, they were 1-4, came back to make themselves at 500, and then they lose just a brutal game in Cleveland, almost inexcusable. And then yesterday, down 19-9, they were able to come back, tie it late on just an unbelievable catch there in the end zone, they're late in the game, but what did that mean? Julio Jones made that catch over the corner with Akuzi. And for the Cowboys to then rally the troops, go down the field, kick the game-winning field goal, certainly just put a big, giant smile on the face of Jerry Jones as you saw him in the press box or in the owner's box having a grand old time. And the Cowboys are now at 500, just a big win for them. And the Falcons, they just continue. And I mean continue to lose in excruciating fashion. And this is one that, just like the Packers, they're going to look at this game. They can look at the game in Cleveland, and rightfully so. But they're going to look at this game and circle and said, this is a game that we just let slip out of our hands. Now, granted that they were trailing and they came back. It wasn't as if they had the lead and then they just gagged it. But to think the defense couldn't come up with one last stop to kind of you know, push this into overtime, and then you just let the chips fall where they may at that point. But here they are now at 4-6 and six in a pretty stacked division, and as we all know, a very stacked NFC, and chances are they're going to be on the outside looking in. And they're certainly going to look at their season pretty much if there was any chance or any hope this coming Thanksgiving night when they go to New Orleans. And as we all know, New Orleans is on fire right now. And let's segue to that game because the other team that was on the bubble – is the Philadelphia Eagles. And what did they do? Laid a big, giant, fat egg in the middle of the Superdome where they got waxed 48-7. Carson Wentz, certainly not effective at all. Their offense couldn't get anything going. The Saints right now, I understand people in Kansas City and people in Los Angeles, especially on the Rams side of the town, they're going to look and say, hey, we're the best team in the NFL. But the Saints right now, they are just – Marching on a whole nother level. I mean, they're just racking up points as if it's a pinball game. In fact, right now, what is it? They have 378 points, which I'm sure has to be tops in the league. It seems like every other week they're putting up 40 points. 45 against the Rams a couple weeks ago. Obviously, 48 last night. And the Eagles, I'm sure everybody's excited after everything that took place last year. But this has just been, I mean, this season has been a nightmare for them. Uh, That's all there is to it. And if you're Doug Peterson and company, if you have any pride left on that team and you have the Giants coming into the building and you have the Giants coming into your building this Sunday, you certainly have to show up and not just lay down and let the season go into the wind. So you have those teams in particular that certainly – staring at the face of their seasons. And even though they may be on life support, but you would think for all intents and purposes, they're pretty much done for this 2018 season. And the other team that I mentioned, and I have to put them in the mix, despite the fact that they're in first place at the moment, is the Redskins. They lost a tough game yesterday, and no pun intended, 
just had one of the brutal breaks that you could possibly ever get on the anniversary, 33 years ago to the day where Joe Theismann on that Monday night against the Giants, as we all know in this town, had his leg broken in two places while Alex Smith suffered the same fate. And now the Redskins, who, talking to a buddy of mine here that I know is a huge Redskins fan, I said to him, if you could get past the Texans and somehow beat the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, you'll pretty much be in the driver's seat for the NFC East. Well, obviously that's not going to happen considering they lost to the Texans yesterday. Uh, Just a crushing defeat there. I understand they tried to kick a 63-yard field goal to end it, and it fell way short. But with Alex Smith out and Colt McCoy in, we understand it's a West Coast offense. It's not the type of offense where they're going to stretch the field and you're going to make some dangerous throws. It's going to be very simple. We all know how that offense is. Everything is pretty much outs to the flat, everything underneath to the tight end. But with Colt McCoy, that's not going to cut it if you're a Redskins fan. So you would think that right now your season is on the bubble. And who would have ever thought? On the bubble here in a week 11 and you're in first place in the division. But that's just how it is. And obviously they have a huge game on Thursday against the Cowboys, and they could certainly do some damage there because, remember, earlier this year the Redskins beat the Cowboys at home, and if they were to win this game, they will certainly put themselves in good position because as far as tiebreakers are concerned, they win that game even if they are 8-8. Eight and eight. If they end the season, both Washington and Dallas at 8-8, eight and eight, guess what? Redskins are in the postseason, and they'll host a playoff game. But right now, certainly not looking good considering they lost their quarterback. And the Texans give them credit. Texans, I mean, they got off pretty quick here in this game. Deshaun Watson, you know, made some plays. You know, obviously the defense certainly had uh, made some big plays as well. But, and nobody's taking the Texans seriously, which we'll get to a little bit later on when we kind of recap everything. But uh, just a big road win for them. And they actually won seven in a row. And that's why they've flown on the radar, where everybody's looking at the Chiefs and the Saints and the Rams and a couple other teams that have made some big pushes here of late and even some of the disappointments that I talked about. But right now, if you when you think about it, the hottest team in the NFL, just as far as from the AFC standpoint, for wins are concerned in a row, are the Texans. Because we all know the Saints. And who would have thought, after them losing to Tampa on opening day, and I picked them as a in a knockout pool, so how much of an idiot I am, they haven't lost since. But more on the Saints and more a little Week 11 overview as I get to wrap up these games. Uh, as we cut through it, Carolina-Detroit, this was a game where, again, back and forth, but Carolina certainly racked up a ton of yards, but pretty much what it boiled down to is the touchdown there late to make it 2019, and they actually went for two, Carolina. When you're on the road, and I get it, I understand this is a different NFL, they're going for the win, I'm sure Ron Rivera had a lot of confidence in their offense to try to punch it in the end zone. They weren't able to do so. And what could you say? They're now 6-4. and four. We get that they haven't played New Orleans yet, but now they're three games behind them. So if there was any shot for them to try to win a division, you could forget it. But I would think just to be safe, try to go for the tie, extra point, and away you go. And then hopefully you win a game in overtime. Or maybe Rivera didn't trust his defense there, considering that the... Lions certainly, listen, they have a great offensive game. We're not going to sit here and say they will lighten up the scoreboard by any stretch of the imagination, but still, maybe he just felt as if I'm going to punch this in and try to get the victory, and there's still a minute and something 
left to go in the game. I think it was 151 to go in the game. So maybe he thought it was just too much time on the clock and he just felt that maybe they were going to come down the field, kick the field goal, and that would have been it. So there you go as far as the uh, Panthers are concerned. And I'm sure they're still in good shape here. But uh, as far as the division in the NFC South, you could pretty much forget about it despite them not playing the Saints just yet. Here we are 11 weeks into the season. Uh, a couple other games here. Cincinnati-Baltimore. That was a big game from a standpoint of wild card purposes because the Bengals going into the game yesterday were actually uh, entrenched in the sixth seed. And now with them losing to Baltimore, they did split in the regular season. But it was uh, a lot of Lamar Jackson. And the Bengals certainly were just uh, unable to hold on to a 21-13 lead there in the second half. You saw a lot of Lamar Jackson where he actually rushed for 117 yards and carried for 24 times, which is crazy. That's certainly not going to last. Joe Flacco was out with a hip injury and maybe out this coming week as well. So we'll see how that goes. But that was just a crushing loss for the Bengals. Remember, they started 4-1 and one and now they're 500. So those are two teams we're going to have to look at as far as the wild card is concerned. So certainly keep your eyes on that. What can you say about the Colts and even the Titans for that matter? Titans may have been due for a letdown considering everything they put forth Last week against New England, Vrabel against the former coach or his former coach there when he was a player up in New England. And, of course, Bill Belichick. But for Andrew Luck and company, and who would have thought? One and four looked like their season, and I picked them to be more improved only because of Andrew Luck being back in the helm there. But for what that was worth, they've gotten their offensive line healthy. They've played lights out. They've gotten themselves back in the AFC South picture. Just a dominating win from pillow to post, 38-10. Luck threw for 297. Marlon Mack also had 91 yards on the ground. Was that 81? I don't know if I may need some glasses here, but uh, was that 61? 61 yards. Look at that. I can't even read. But to me, when Luck is healthy, we all know he's a top-five quarterback in this league, and he's certainly shown that considering he's finally gotten his offensive line healthy He's being protected. We know the Titans are a very good defense, but they certainly didn't show up yesterday. 38-10, again, the final, as the Colts put themselves thrust right in the middle of that AFC South mix with the Titans and also with the Texans, although there's still two games behind, but still plenty of football to be played, as we all well know. And even though Indy lost a brutal game earlier this year, if you remember, that was the game where Frank Reich actually went for it on his side of the field in overtime against Houston. And then... They ended up kicking the field goal in overtime to win. As a matter of fact, I believe that was their first win of the year, which started the seven-game winning streak for the, the uh, Texans. So just keep that in mind for down the road. As the uh, Colts, I think they play on a Thursday night in a few weeks, Colts and Texans. So that's going to be a very interesting game. What else do we have here? Oakland and Arizona. Do I even need to get into this? Oakland wins a game. So Arizona right now will probably be the team that picks number one overall, considering they had lost – to the and then they did beat San Francisco twice, so who knows? I guess it's with a flip of a coin who's going to get that number one pick. Uh, but it's certainly plenty of time to worry about that down the road. But the Raiders were finally able to get back in a win column, twenty three twenty one out in the desert. Minnesota Chicago, the game last night where Trubisky, you know, was able to make a few plays. Kirk Cousins had just a brutal game through just a bad pick that was taken back to the house. But Chicago was pretty much in charge, fourteen nothing. It was uh, 14-3, 14-6, and they pretty much had the game in control. Although the Vikings scored a touchdown late, but they weren't able to convert a two-point conversion, which would have made it a field goal game. 
But as we know, that didn't happen as the Bears hung on to win 25-22, or excuse me, 25-20, to as they certainly claim their stake in the NFC North with a 7-3 record. And we talked about Green Bay and now with Minnesota losing. So they certainly have a very commanding position in the NFC North, that of the Bears. The Chargers went back to their old ways, I guess from 2013 to 2017. Here was a game that were in complete control against the Broncos. They were up 17 to 6. Excuse me. I think I got that wrong. No, they were up in the game 17 to 9. And or excuse me, 19 to 7. I got my I got all my scores mixed up. Start over here, J Reels. They were up 19 to 7 in this game. Marching down the field late third quarter where in God's name, I don't know what Philip Rivers was doing. As he looks like he's about to throw a bubble screen, but he throws it in traffic. Von Miller picks it off, and he goes down the left sideline. He does get stopped there. Doesn't uh, punch it in the end zone, but that was the turning point of the whole game where the Broncos came fighting back. And interestingly enough, when they had that 19-7 lead, the kicker, Badgley, missed the extra point, which you know these more often than not, these extra points are always going to come back to haunt you. Well, sure enough, it did in this game. Not only did that pick was enormous, but then at 22-20, under the two-minute warning, what was Phillip Rivers thinking when he's dropping back and he feels the pressure to you know another bubble screen type of play and he just throws it into the ground? He stops the clock. They punt the ball off. And what happens? The Broncos, on a couple of big plays, one to Emmanuel Sanders and then one later on, which is the biggest play of the game, to Cortland Sutton, which pretty much sets them up at the 15-yard line. And then what happens? Denver kicks a... Field goal in the final seconds. They win 23-22. And again, that extra point, if it was made, it would have been tied. It would have gone to overtime. And who knows what would have happened from there. But just a brutal loss for the Chief, excuse me, for the Chargers, who, as we've seen time and time again with this team, they find new ways to lose. And this was a game where they had it in their hands. They were in control. They were marching down the field to probably maybe kick a field goal, which would have made it 22-7, or maybe even punch it in, which could have iced the game. But no, that certainly wasn't the case. They dominated this game and certainly just gave it right back. And that's a game that they're probably going to circle on the calendar. Now for the division, it's probably not going to mean much because now at 7-3 and three, and they're right now currently a game and a half back where the Chiefs play the Rams tonight, big game Monday night. But certainly this is a game that they're going to look at and probably just kick themselves if they haven't done so already. So you have uh, that tough loss that they have to deal with there out in uh, L.A. And then the final game, and I saved this for last, of course. You know I'm a huge Steeler fan. But Jacksonville falls into that mix of teams on the bubble staring at their season, looking as if they want to try to make it back to shore or is it going to be swept out to sea. And all I'm going to say about this game, as we just talked about with the Denver-LA Charger game. This was a game that the Jacksonville Jaguars, not only did they package it in the box, did they put beautiful wrapping paper, but put the best beautiful sparkling ribbon smack right on top of it and just handed it to the Pittsburgh Steelers. This was a game that the Steelers had zero, no business winning. None. When you look at what happened, they were down 16-0 as we know. 
Roethlisberger was having another nightmare game, kind of took you back to the week five game last year in Pittsburgh where he threw five picks. And when you saw how this game unfolded, knowing that on a fourth and five, I think it was, when he threw that ball out into the flat to James Conner was incomplete with six minutes and 43 seconds to go in the fourth quarter, you're thinking, forget it. This is just a bad loss. Jacksonville's in our heads. We can't beat this team. Jacksonville was due to win one of these games considering they started off 3-1 and one and they lost their last five games. They had to do whatever it takes to get themselves back in any sort of mix considering that they were already three games on the 500, but you know where I'm going. And from that point on, Jacksonville's offense, which pretty much sputtered all day, I understand Fournette had a big game, which sputtered all day, certainly weren't able to move a ball an inch from that point on. In fact, they closed out the game with four three and outs. So again, no aggressive play calling. Certainly didn't look to take charge of the game. Bortles only threw for barely over 100 yards in the game. But this is where the game really turned. So after the three and out, Pittsburgh gets the ball. They march down the field. Touchdown with 228 to go. 16-13. So now Jacksonville does nothing with the ball. Typical. And then Pittsburgh gets the ball. Now, mind you, the Steelers, throughout the course of the game, certainly were having a tough time moving the ball. Jacksonville's defense was stout. Jalen Ramsey had two picks, but they continued to attack no matter what. They certainly did not change their identity, and that's kudos not only to Tomlin, the coach, and also Randy Fickner, the offensive coordinator, but to Big Ben. Ben said going into this week that as much as he respected Jalen Ramsey, we're going to throw at him. Now, they threw at him quite a bit to the tune where he was intercepted twice by him, including that one in the end zone, which was just a great play by Ramsey, and even the one that he undercut the route on Antonio Brown. But this same guy also had just an awful, as great as the game that he started, he had an awful ending to this game. That poor angle on a tackle for that touchdown on Antonio Brown down 16-0, what was he doing there? I understand it wasn't his man. He had to go all the way across the field to try to get him, but he just took a terrible angle at that where Brown just walked right into the end zone. And then on that final drive where the touch pass there to the sideline, well, first to the sideline there with Juju Smith-Schuster on the previous drive, which was on Jalen Ramsey, and then again, which A.J. Bouye was on him, which was a big play because that just put them down in field goal territory where they're looking to see if you're going to go for a tie. But then on that third down, that beautiful touch pass, where Ramsey was guarding him to Antonio Brown, which pretty much set him up there at first and goal. And then you had, this is where the game was just gift-wrapped. On that play in the end zone where it was picked off, DJ Hayden, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, just a gut-wrenching loss by the Steelers. Hang on, flag, face mask. Half the distance to the goal. And then on another play, and mind you, a couple plays before, if you remember, James Conner, he had that pass that he could have waltzed into the end zone, but he dropped it. He had his eyes set for the end zone, but of course, you got to catch it first before you can even think about going ahead. But now back to the first and goal. They get a another penalty there on the defense, which sets up the Roethlisberger run where he even said in the postgame now he had four different, he was the fourth option on that because Jacksonville pretty much did a very good job covering that, and he had to stretch all 6-5 of himself to get that ball across the plane of the goal line for the touchdown, and that was just as gutty, as gritty of a win 
that you're going to see a team that has had a lot of these types of wins over the years. But remember, as we said throughout the course of this podcast, games that you're going to look at, that you're going to circle, more so for them losing team, well, this is a game that you could circle at for a winning team. Because if the Steelers would have lost this game, they would have been a four seed as of today, but they're still two seed. And I understand we can't get crazy about seeds right now. We're still six games away. we got to get more towards week 15, especially into week 16 when we can start looking at seeds, especially when you're talking about the top two in each conference. But as of today, just them pulling out that game, they had no business winning that game. None. As I said, that incomplete pass to Connor is 643. You think that's it. There's no way. They got nothing. They haven't been able to muster anything. Roethlisberger's been confused, but it just goes to show you how gutty he is. And I get that there are a million other quarterbacks that are better than him in the league, but that guy is, man, he's just something else when the chips are down. He just finds a way. He does whatever it takes. And I'll never forget something he said a long time ago, and then I'll move on from here, where he says the quarterback position, there are going to be days where you just want to give up. There are going to be days where you just feel like you can't complete a pass or you can't even make a throw. But you know what? you got to hang in there. And that's what's going to get you through. And yesterday was that type of game. And kudos to him. Kudos to the Steelers. Now they're going to have a tough game coming up against Denver. And I understand it's going to be, what do you mean tough? Denver's only four and six. Well, mile high. An emotional game and a bruising game. We know Jacksonville's defense, even they've underachieved this year, but that's still a physical game. Let's see how they re- rebound from that. Up in Denver, they're 425 on Sunday. But with Jacksonville, their season is kaput. What a bunch of one hit wonders they were. And I get that they can come back next year, they still have the defense. Who knows what they're going to do about the quarterback. I understand he resigned, but I don't know what his deal is off the top of my head. You know, they need a big-time receiver. They don't have that. Their backfield is fine. You know, Yeldon is a good pass-catching running back. We don't know about Fournette. He's a bulldozer. But the quarterback, and they need some wideouts, and that team could be really dangerous. Well, other than that, it's going to be predicated on the defense, and the defense spit the bit yesterday. Not only them just giving up the game, but also the stupid penalties, undisciplined. I mean, all the first downs. I mean, they had that interception early in the game, which was overturned when Miles Jack had that pick, which that was it would have been Roethlisberger's. I think that was it would have been his fourth pick at the time. But that was overturned because of a roughing the passer. So yeah, just undisciplined. And the Steelers have usually been undisciplined this first part of the year. They've actually been very good, and that was pretty much the key there. Eleven penalties for 111 yards, and the Steelers, I believe, only had three penalties in the game. All right, so now to recap here real quick. When you're looking at the conferences, the whole AFC East had a bye, so they come back into the mix this week. Patriots are sitting comfortably 7-3. and three. They don't have to worry about tiebreakers with the Dolphins because they already beat them once. The AFC North right now, Steelers are looking fine there. we got to see about Baltimore and Cincinnati as far as the wildcard scenario goes in the weeks to come. Houston, two-game lead on both Indianapolis and Tennessee, but as I said earlier, Titans have a tiebreaker against the Texans, but not against the Colts. And then the Chiefs 9-1, and they play again, as I said earlier tonight. Chargers 7-3, and Broncos 4-6. and We got a zillion 5-5 five and five teams there in the AFC. And obviously a lot of football to be played to see how that unfolds in the weeks to come. As far as the NFC is concerned, we talked about the Redskins with a big game against the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. The Bears with a one-and-a-half game lead over the Vikings. 
And again, the Packers, although they're not out yet mathematically, and they need to make a run, but remember, they do have a win against the Bears so far, so you got to keep that in mind. So they're certainly not dead yet. We talked about Carolina. Falcons, I think, are done. And they got to go to New Orleans, as I mentioned a little while ago. And then Seattle. Where do they fall into this NFC playoff mix? That's the team you're going to look at. And then you have the Rams, of course, leading the NFC West. And as far as your schedule this week, you have the Thanksgiving games where you have Chicago and Detroit. So Chicago with a quick turnaround after the game last night. And that's tough. I mean, think about that. They just played a Sunday night game, and then they got to play 1230 on Thursday. So who knows if there's going to be any letdown there. I know it's a division game. You can't let down. And the Lions, obviously, they fought to a victory there yesterday. So that could be a compelling game. We know about Washington and Dallas and then Atlanta and New Orleans. As far as the Sunday docket it looks right now, yeah, you don't have much to chew on here. In fact, you got zero. Well, you got Tennessee-Houston in a Monday night game, so there you go. That's going to be fascinating from that standpoint. Does Tennessee get themselves back in the division mix, or they pretty much put them the rest, the Texans, that is. The game is in Houston, so just keep that one in mind. Your Sunday night game is Green Bay-Minnesota, so they get back-to-back games. So you're pretty much looking at Green Bay season right there. Remember, they tied on week two, so this is an enormous game. Carolina, Seattle at Carolina. I mean, that's like a B level game. But when you look at the slate, it's an A level game because they are just brutal. Look, Jacksonville at Buffalo, Cleveland at Cincinnati, New England at the Jets, New York at Philly, San Francisco at Tampa, Oakland at Baltimore, Arizona at the Chargers. Whew. Uh, these games are just, they'll put you to sleep. So that's your NFL for week number 12. Upcoming, And when we look at this on a whole, again, we can't break down seeds and scenarios and things of that nature. But I'm going to say this right now. As great as the Saints are playing, and if, we had, if they have home field in their building, we all know how dangerous they're going to be. But I don't trust them 100%. I guess you could say that for all the teams. You know, even the Rams were, to an extent, the Chiefs, you know, the Chiefs defense. And we all know Andy Reid in January, he unfolds. But as we take a lay of the NFL land here before we move on to other things, the Saints, not that I got to see more, we know their offense is lethal. But defensively, they worry me in a big spot. And granted, when you look at the game a couple weeks ago against the Rams, they were up 35-14, and they came all the way back to tie it, and then they kicked the field goal, and they got the late touchdown to win. And that was a huge win. And it could be a huge win when you're looking at these seedings come at the end of the year. But the Saints, it's almost as if that now they've just been on this magic carpet ride. I mean, they're just clicking off these games as if it's nothing. And you wonder if there's a letdown in sight. Now, I don't see it next week against Atlanta. Could the game be close? Yeah, it could be close. Could you see them losing? Eh. Uh, they got to come back to earth at some point. But tonight, is that going to be an indication of these two teams maybe meeting up in the Super Bowl? I don't think so. Because anytime you see that type of matchup, oh, the high-flying Chiefs and the high-flying Rams, and now the game is in L.A., which was a good job by the NFL to do that early in the week because the game was originally scheduled in Mexico City, and there were issues not only just with the altitude but with the playing surface where they had a concert and also a soccer game, and that was just that would have been a mess. So they did the right thing by moving the game to L.A., and the game would have been in L.A. anyway. It wouldn't have been 
the reason why they moved it there is because of the proximity from Mexico to LA. So it's not as if they the game could have been played in Kansas City because the Chiefs had Arizona and San Francisco go there. So those are the two NFC West teams that traveled there where Kansas City had to go to Seattle later on this year, and then obviously they played the Rams. So when you look at that game tonight, is that going to be a Super Bowl preview? I'm not going to say it is. We all know it's a sexy matchup. We know it's going to be billed as that, but again, do I trust that chief defense and especially Andy Reid in January? No. The Rams, as much as they've been a machine this year, their defense hasn't been lights out either. And Goff in a huge spot. I mean, a huge spot. We're talking postseason. Forget about regular season. Huge spot. That remains to be seen. So right now, if you're looking at the way this NFL season is shaking, you know, shaping up, it is, I tell you, it is fascinating and compelling to say the least. And it seems like it's been like that every year. I get the last couple of years with the whole Kaepernick thing and the anthem and a lot of the issues that the NFL has had. It's been brutal to watch. But this year has been, it's just been riveting. And this is what the NFL, that's why they are who they are. You got your powerhouse teams, the teams that are just zoomed to the top of the charts, and you got your teams that you can't forget. New England, Pittsburgh, Bears for, to a certain extent. You know, because you got to put them in the mix considering the way that defense has been playing. So it's going to be fascinating to watch. But, I, again, I, I'm not sold on any of these teams because a lot of these prognosticators like to come out and say, oh, the Saints, I tell you, you know, I think they're going to be in the Super Bowl. It's November 19th. Can we pipe down? Everybody are, just, I, everybody are prisoners in the moment, and I hate that because they just look at the, whoever's the hot team, whoever's the playing the best, and that's going to be the team that's going to win it all. So I got to get through December and January to get to that game in February down in Atlanta. So let's just take it easy. Now the college football season is going to ramp up a little bit this week. You didn't have much this past weekend, although you did have two games that a lot of people looked at. One was a matchup where Syracuse, could they hang with Notre Dame? No. 36-3. They were up 36 nothing in the game, and they tacked on a late field goal. So we know Syracuse can't hang with the big boys. And then Ohio State survived a scare down in Maryland against the Terrapins where they lose, or excuse me, where they won 52-51 to the point where Maryland went for two at the end. And good for them. You know, Maryland isn't going anywhere. That would have been just an enormous win for that school. You know, to kick the extra point, eh, you know, so what? For them to go for two, give them all the props in the world. They didn't execute. You can't kill their coach. You can't kill, oh, why did they do that? It's terrible. You know, you got to kick the extra point. No, no, no. It's Maryland, people. So what they did was the right thing. So talk about hightailing it out of there, getting that win in their back pocket, and now the big game this week is Ohio State-Michigan. And if Jim Harbaugh right now, since he's been back at the program in Ann Arbor, this right here is his biggest game as coach. There is no ifs, ands, buts, maybes about it. He's got to win this game. And we get that the game is in Columbus. So it's even more of a challenge for them to win this game. If the game was at home, all the pressure would be on him. But there's still a ton of pressure because their team right now is ranked in the top four. And by winning this game, it will pretty much cement them. They still have to play the conference championship game, but it will pretty much cement them in that mix for the playoff 
there on New Year's Eve or whenever they played. I think they moved it out of New Year's Eve this year, but you get where I'm you get my point. So in a nor- I mean this is this is why Jim Harbaugh went to Michigan to win these games and he has not beaten Ohio State since he's gone there. And considering this team is better than Ohio State, not just in the record that we see this year, but let's face it, this team has a very good defense. We understand that Urban Meyer has gotten the best of him, but no, to me, there's just no excuse. He's got to win this game. And the other games this weekend are pretty much from a nostalgic standpoint. Florida, Florida State, who cares? And then you have Notre Dame going to USC, where USC, we know they're awful. But they get up for these games, and for whatever the reason, I don't know if it's going to the West Coast, who knows. But Notre Dame certainly has not fared well out in the Coliseum over the years. And this is going to be a game where, I mean, listen, there's no way they should lose this game. But you're going to keep an eye on it due to the history of this game and to see if Notre Dame can come out victorious. Because if they don't, then they'll fall out of the top four and away we go. You'll have a big, giant mess there to see who's going to be ranked in those top four spots as we get closer to the end of this college football season. All right, a couple other things before we say goodbye for this latest edition of the j Rose Podcast. The NBA, the only thing I'm going to touch on here, you know, Knicks has been awful. You know, Nets have been... All right, although they've lost a couple of games this week. But the two big things here in the NBA, one of the Warriors, they've lost four of the last five games, including their last three. And we all know about the controversy there on Monday in L.A. against the Clippers where Draymond Green, he dribbled up the ball after a rebound and then lost the ball in regulation and ended up losing in overtime to where he and Kevin Durant were joined at each other there by the bench. Then Draymond comes out and says, well, not quoting, but the paraphrase, oh, he has his agenda, he just wants to be out of here when his free agent uh, status comes up. I mean, those are things that divides teams. I mean, you know, why would he say that? And I understand Draymond Green has a big mouth. We get that. He's not my favorite player. But you know what? He needs to pipe down. I don't know what he was trying to do there at the end of the game. He gets the ball. He just sort of handed it to Durant, and that was it. Here he is trying to be a hero, and that's not his game. That's never been his game, and why would he do that? Uh, to me, that was just, I don't know I to say it was jealousy, but it was certainly damn selfish of him to do that. And then you've had this whirlwind this week where they've lost these games and lose to the Spurs last night. And is the sky falling in the Bay Area? No, I like to say that from time to time, but they're going to be fine. They'll right in the ship. We all know they don't need to be a one seed in order for them to go through the conference and Chances are represent the Western Conference in an NBA final. But here in this early season, it's something to talk about. Whereas the Lakers have turned their season around. They had a bad loss in Orlando on Saturday, but 51 points as LeBron comes back. Surprisingly, that LeBron, that's his first win in Miami since he left Miami in 2014. I didn't know that. So for those who are keeping track. And as far as Carmelo Anthony's concerned, you wonder if this is it for him. You would think that whomever signs him here in the coming weeks, obviously they're going to sign him to the one-year minimum. Could this be it for him? I I would like to – I'm not going to like to say, but I would have to say that it probably is. And I know I mentioned this last year and even last week. I think Philly is it the best fit. 
I think it's only the best fit considering that if he's coming off the bench here, he could give them some scoring. But that's it. He's not going to play defense. We all know his back is not going to be to the basket because, you know, Embiid, for the most part, is going to be in the low block, despite the fact that the game is not played that way. But we all know that Embiid is he's going to play down low more often than not. So if you're looking for a Vinnie Johnson of the Detroit Piston heyday of the bad boys, Carmelo could be your guy. But that's all he's good for. You know, people even thought, well, maybe he could come back to the Knicks. What is he going to do on the Knicks and close out his career there? I mean, that'd be a waste. Even if you didn't pay him. I mean, why, why even entertain that? That doesn't make any sense. So when you look at Carmelo and where he could possibly go here, uh, to me, Philly is the one team. Could he go to the Clippers, maybe? Clippers have played very well here early on. You know, he's going to go to a team that's going to contend. He's not going to go to the Lakers. I think that would be a bad... Why Why go there? So, who knows where he's going to end up. I think Philly would be best for him. He's East Coast. He'll be close. I'm sure he probably still has a place here in the city. So, he's not far from home. Obviously, I don't know his family situation. I don't know if they've uprooted or whatever, but... I think for all intents and purposes, they're still around. And to me, that would be the best fit. And I don't know if the hierarchy of the Sixers would deem that to be a good fit. But who knows? This t- this guy who's had a Hall of Fame career, let's face it, I'm sure there's going to be one team out there that's going to take a chance on him. And you would think. I mean, he is Carmelo Anthony, despite the fact that he's not the same player that he once was. But for him to just kind of go off into the sunset like this and quietly at that, I'd be very surprised. Um, so if somebody's going to take a chance, I only say Philly because despite them having Redick, you would think having another guy come off the bench who's a scorer would fit well. And we know Jimmy Butler is now in the mix there. So to me, Carmelo would just kind of blend in as opposed to being a focal point because we all know he shouldn't be the focal point of any offense at this stage of his career. So we'll see what happens with Melo in that situation as well as the rest of the league as we head into a Thanksgiving week. As far as the NHL is concerned, not really much to discuss there. I'm not going to get into what's happening. I know people may wonder the Thanksgiving Friday game because I know that's the highlight game since a lot of the teams in the NBA and NHL, pretty much all teams in the NHL and NBA are off on Thanksgiving. But the 1 o'clock matchup will be Rangers at Flyers, certainly not like it once was yesteryear. And how about this? And i got to look this up. But as of a few days ago, how is it that the Philadelphia Flyers did not have a fighting major almost six weeks into their season? That is an out-and-out and utter embarrassment. That franchise has been built on toughness. And we get it that it's not 1987, it's not 1977, it's 2018. But that is just, I, I can't even wrap my head around that. When somebody posted on Twitter a few days ago, and the Flyers have not had one fighting major this year. That just goes to show you where the sport is as far as any type of intimidation, toughness, et cetera. And I know I've been telling like a broken record week in and week out, but that one is just I, that just that doesn't blow my mind. That just it makes my head spin because I know the Bobby Clark's, the Dave Schultz's of the world, the Bob Kelly's of the world. Those guys, they gotta just shake their heads as if. Well, what has gone on with the sport? But anyway, that's a story for another time. I won't get into that. So, And then lastly here, 
we all know the MLB awards have been in, and no, to no surprise, we know Jacob DeGrom, and kudos to him and congrats to him on his accomplishment of winning the NL Cy Young Award. The MVPs were Mookie Betts of the AL and Christian Yelich of the National League. No surprises there. But the one big surprise was that Shohei Otani won the Rookie of the Year for the American League. And not only did he win it, he won it by a lot. It was a landslide. Did people not see the year that Miguel Andujar had? Miguel Andujar was, what, 27-97, batted close to 290, had 40-something doubles. And I understand Otani had a good year. It was 285, 20 homers. But Andujar had the much better year. And I don't want to hear that he only – Played in 100 games, so he had less at-bats, so he got to prorate his at-bats over the course of a season, and he would have better numbers. No. I don't want to hear that nonsense. And don't give me these stupid analytics to think that over the course of a 162-game season, he would have ended up with these numbers, and therefore he was the better rookie. Uh Uh-uh. And I get that he pitched in, what, 10 games and was very effective, but he only pitched 10 games. And he may have pitched less than that off the top of my head, but still. How did Otani win this? And a lot of people think it's an anti-Yankee vote, and it probably was. And people could look at it, oh, we had to split the votes between Gleyber Torres and Andujar. Well, as good as Gleyber Torres was, Andujar was better. And for him to not win the award, or even not even been close, could it at least been a lot closer as far as the voting is concerned? You know, if Otani won by, oh, he won by five points. Eh, all right. Or five votes. If that was the case, then you got to live with it. I mean, is, you know, you're going to lose sleep over it? No, but to think that he won by that big of a margin, oh, please. That was just a disgrace. I don't know what the writers were seeing. And I get I hadn't seen Otani every day, and he was, and certainly have had his moments this year, but Andujar, and granted, he didn't have a good postseason, but his regular season was was excellent. So that's what you have there with the baseball, and we'll see now. As I said last week, I don't think with Harper and Machado anything is going to happen with them. I would think until after Christmas. And you may see even after the New Year. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of posturing on both sides, whether it's teams or the agents. Who knows? Maybe something could be struck early. But considering what took place last year, and I get it that there was not a Machado or a Harper on the market where people are going to want to bid for these guys' services considering their age and their production so far in their careers. But I don't see any of these GMs ready to dish out $350 million. We'll see. I know the Philly GM said, that, hey, we may spend foolishly. But that remains to be seen. As you know, the Phillies have a ton of money under the cap or under the luxury tax. So obviously plenty of time to sink our teeth into that in the days and weeks to come. And other than that, people, I mean, that's pretty much what we got. You know, I'm certainly not going to bore you with any other minutiae, you know, get into. It's still early with the NBA and NHL. You know, I just want to hit on some of the hot topics that are coming out of each of those leagues. We all know right now it's football, college football. If something breaking comes in the MLB, then obviously it has to be brought up. But it's pretty much going to be football from here on out. And why not? It's that time of year. All the attention, as we all know, Thursday, the Americana Day of Thanksgiving where it's going to be family, friends, food, and football. And we just hope that whatever it is that you eat, you eat more on the healthy side and the non-healthy side. And I won't get on that soapbox just yet, but bottom line is is that that's a day where we all come together. And as I said at the top, you want to give thanks every day, people. Just don't wait till Thursday to do it while you're stuffing your faces watching football. 
All right. So before I bid adieu, you know, I have to wrap this up with some housekeeping. People, as always, spread the word. Tell your friends, anybody who likes, loves, is interested in sports. Pass along the information, whether it's uh, from my social media sites, J Reels on Instagram, J Reels One, just a number on Twitter, the J Reels Podcast on Facebook. Please inform them of any of my social media sites. The website, of course, at www.jreels, J A Y R E E L Z.com. And don't forget, subscribe, people. Very simple. All you got to do is, if you let's say if you're on Spotify, I know a lot of people are on Spotify, just go to Spotify, type in the J Reels podcast, just hit select. You'll see my cartoon character, you know, character face there with the J Reels podcast logo. Just hit that, hit subscribe, and when you do that, you'll get these podcasts delivered right to your device, phone, tablet, whatever it may be, right on the spot. So you don't have to go searching for it after that. It'll come right to it. Leave a rating, post a review. You could do the same on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher. Same deal. Go to the app, type in the J Rules Podcast, hit subscribe, and that's it. That's all there is to it. Very simple. Doesn't get any easier than that. And please, if I'd appreciate you, leave a rating, post a review, because all that's going to do is going to uh, make other people out there aware of this show in the big sports podcast population universe that is out there. And not only that, but also increase the awareness of the program and hopefully generate a lot more interest in guests down the line. Not only that, but you can also send me an email at the jreelspodcast at gmail.com, especially the social media sites. You could DM me if you have any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be. I'm all open to it and all for it. So please, people, do that. And again, I'm here each and every Monday to kick off your weeks to recap everything that's going on in the world of sports, whether it's the diamond, the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it, as you're here each and every week. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Enjoy your Thanksgiving week. Enjoy all the football. Please be safe. Be careful out there. Be kind to others. Don't drink and drive. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip page.